You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We're your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Welcome to the show, friend. Thank you for being here today. If you've been around a while, you know that me and Evie typically talk about creative entrepreneurship and personal branding here on the pod a lot, right? That's what we're known for. It's where we started. However, today we are throwing you a curveball. Get ready. Though most of you probably are creative entrepreneurs, there is an entire world of business entrepreneurship out there that goes so much bigger than creative entrepreneurship. And for today's episode, we wanted to give you a bigger picture of the possibilities out there in business. If you're a business owner looking to grow and scale your business, you're going to love this episode. Or if you're someone who's just sick and tired of a boss telling you what to do, but you also hate the idea of putting your face in your brand and offering a product or service that relies solely on you, keep listening. Can you believe someone who preaches personal branding just said that? I know. I did. (laughs) If words like investing, growing, scaling are new or scary, then this episode is going to stretch you and blow your mind in the best way. Prepare to get out of your comfort zone as we welcome to the show, Joe and Mike Bruska. Joe and Mike are brothers who have been working together online since 2014. Since then, they've succeeded at multiple different business models, including Amazon FBA, Kindle Publishing, and e-commerce websites. They own a sellable online portfolio, which consists of over 10 different businesses, and they're still expanding their current holdings along with buying and selling new businesses online. Today, we had these two brothers on the show to chat about their method of dropshipping high-ticket products via online storefronts. They break down what the heck dropshipping even is, so you don't have to Google it, (laughs) what the benefits of selling high-ticket versus low-ticket are, how to figure out what to sell, high revenue versus low risk, and their biggest secret to how they've grown multiple seven-figure businesses since 2014. Yes, you heard me right. They're crushing it and are here to drop the deets. So don't you dare go anywhere. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. All right, hello, Joe and Mike. Welcome onto the show. We are so freaking excited to have you guys here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is going to be so much fun. Okay, so can you guys start off just by telling us a little bit of your story about your maybe your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, it all kind of started um, back in 2014. I was, you know, working a regular job. I was a a food scientist, and you know, the fact is, is like I didn't really like working that much. I, I actually, you know, really hated the whole grind, the whole routine. <laughs> I was kind of desperate to figure out any anything else that would let me quit my job. Um, so I never really considered myself much of an entrepreneur, and I, and I kind of still don't. I consider I consider what we do more of like. Uh, I don't know, like investing in 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 some way, but we'll get to that mm-hmm. a bit later. So the first the first thing I I did was I was just you know searching around for things to make money on the side so I can maybe leave my job, and I stumbled across uh, what's called retail arbitrage, which is basically like going to yard sales, going to clearance sections, and buying stuff for super cheap and reselling it on Amazon and eBay, and that's how I even realized that you can make any sort of money on the internet. 
Uh, so, so that's what I did. And I did that for about a year. And um, I ended up quitting my job like six months in. I, I wasn't really, you know, making like an exorbitant amount of money, but it was just, I had this and I was like, all right, I, I'm so sick of working. I'm just going to, I know I can do this. So I'm just going to keep doing it. And then uh, I'm a little older than Mike and he eventually got a job and saw that I wasn't really working um, after he graduated college. And he ended up getting into Kindle publishing on Amazon, which is publishing eBooks on Amazon, um, which we still do today. But long story short, um, we ran into a few issues with Amazon where they uh, clawed back some of our royalties, which is how you get paid on Kindle mm-hmm. publishing. And um, we, at that point, fast forward, we had both quit our jobs. Uh, I had just bought a house and Mike gave his two weeks. I think he was, he was done at the time. So there was really no going back. But, you know, we, we kind of got slapped in the face that um, because of the issues Amazon was causing us that we, we quit our jobs. But we didn't really have a sustainable source of income with Amazon that we could fully trust and rely on alone. Um, so that's when we kind of built our first uh, e-commerce store where we started doing drop shipping. And there's many different kinds uh, of drop shipping. I mean, it really is, it, it's nothing more than a fulfillment method. But um, I think if someone's going to listen to this and research drop shipping, I, I think it's important that we give them some background. So maybe, yeah. maybe yeah. Mike can do that real quick. Yeah, we should definitely make that distinction. And to go back a little bit, it's like Joe said, we had the Kindle business and that was going well. And then all of a sudden, you know, the rug was kind of taken out from under our feet and, you know, they, they took our income. So essentially you get paid for what you did two months ago. So we lost two months of royalties and it was quite a lot of money. Um, so we realized we couldn't be reliant on any particular platform or any particular one income source. So that's kind of what forced us into making these drop shipping stores. And there's something very specific about how we did it. So essentially, if you just go and you search dropshipping online, uh, most likely what you're going to find is people talking about getting items from China or getting something off of a supplier directory. And then, you know, usually it's like trinket, little items, cheap items, making a Shopify site and then driving traffic to that, say, through like Facebook or Instagram or maybe even TikTok now. But really what we do is a lot more simple and it has a lot more powerful you know results uh what we do is we'll contact brands that are already domestic you know so we're in the u.s we'll contact u.s brands that are selling expensive items usually five hundred dollars a thousand dollars and up and yeah so we just ask to become you know set up a wholesale account with them and all of a sudden we have access to all these products that we can sell on our website and we can make a profit on. And so by selling expensive things, really what happens is you have a, a wide margin to play with. So we won't use any social traffic. We don't really care about social at all. We'll use um, more query-based traffic. So that would be something like uh, Google, right? You go on Google, if you're looking to shop for something, especially something expensive, you're, gonna, you're not gonna go on Facebook for it. Uh, you may go on Pinterest, possibly, but what's going to happen is you're going to look on Google, you're going to put in exactly what you want, and it's going to spit out the results. And usually you see what's called shopping ads with the pictures of the product and the price. I'm sure you've seen them. And so that's what we do. That's what Mm -hmm. we focus on, right? Because instead of doing this whole Facebook thing where you're interrupting someone and trying to convince them that they want this item and working them all the way down this buying funnel, we can sort of hack that 
and just put ourselves up right when someone is looking for exactly what we're selling. And again, we have a wide margin to play with. So it becomes, you know, a, a lot easier to make sales and make profit on those sales. I love that. And you kind of actually just Dang. dipped into the second question that we had, which was what is drop shipping for everyone that doesn't know? Because before uh, this interview, I did not know. And I had to Google, which is exactly what you said. <laughs> like, that's exactly what you're going to find on Google. So thank you guys for breaking that down. And I love that you kind of focus on more of the SEO Google side of it, because I think so often what we buy is what we can understand easiest or what comes to us easiest and what we can then understand easiest um, versus like, trying to go down a whole rabbit rabbit hole, like you said. So that's perfect. Um, mm -hmm. My next question was to help our listeners understand this even more. Could you give us just some examples of some big name brands that everyone knows that use the drop that can't talk that use the drop shipping method just to kind of help break it down even more? Yeah, well, the biggest one is, uh, is Wayfair. And if you actually mm -hmm. look at way, if, if you look at Wikipedia's article for for Wayfair, um, you'll read that Wayfair actually started as a website called racksandstands.com. And as you might guess, that website was dedicated to dropshipping racks and stands. And That's amazing. <laughs> so I, I believe they list a few more on there as well on the Wikipedia page. But long story short, yeah, they they had all these sites and then they and then they merged into Wayfair. But really, it's just any big retailer uses dropshipping. It's just a matter of when you know, the item is not cost effective to, to ship multiple times. So usually this means they're big, heavy, and expensive. Um, they're not going to be moving around from warehouse to warehouse. Um, and just to draw another distinction, another distinction, like we were talking about before, you have to be very careful about this. Because the way we're talking about dropshipping, the way big retailers use it, and the way we use it is very different than the stuff you're going to find online. Like Mike mentioned, you know, people do drop shipping like from websites like AliExpress and they use Facebook ads and, and things like that. And that's more of, uh, you know, what we would consider more of like a gimmick, a way to maybe wait, make a quick buck or a way to lose a lot of money. Um, right. So, yeah. So Wayfair, Amazon, Home Depot, Lowe's, Howes, Hay Needle, um, all companies that really, uh, I mean, there was actually a CNBC documentary that I watched yesterday on Wayfair because they're doing really well. Um, with the whole global situation right now, because more people are shopping for mm -hmm. furniture, and um, yeah, they they referred to it in the in the documentary as their uh, their dealer network. So you know, Wayfair has a huge dealer network. I forgot the the total amount quoted. It might have been eighteen thousand or something like that. And wow. uh, yeah, so most of you know most of these situations um, are most likely drop shipping. I mean, we because we work with we work with suppliers that also drop ship for Wayfair, and so. Yeah, they're they're mainly the big one, but any any retail you can think of uses it at some at one one way or another. Dang. Okay, and you, I feel like you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, what are the benefits of of drop shipping, both for the the manu like the brands or the companies, and then also you know the the suppliers, like what you guys are doing. Yeah. So what Joe was alluding to before is especially when you get into expensive and bigger items, it actually poses a risk to warehouse something because it's just an extra level of transit that needs to happen. If you're going to ship it from the manufacturer yeah. to your warehouse, it could break or have an issue you know, during that transit and then it has to make another one. So it just doesn't make sense to warehouse a lot of these items. And so manufacturers understand that and they also don't want to take care of, they don't want to do marketing. They would rather just onboard someone that can do the marketing for them, bring them sales. That way they can focus on the warehousing. They can focus on developing a good product. And 
it's a win-win relationship for everyone. And the customer, you know, when you're dropshipping for these like uh, high quality domestic brands, they're going to be giving you a better product and they're going to stand behind their product. So if there's ever an issue, you know, usually the manufacturer can step in and help out. And so, yeah, everyone wins um, depending on depending on the item and the situation. So that's why, you know, Amazon uses it. Home Depot uses it. Wayfair was doing it exclusively for a very long time. Yeah. As far as benefits for us, though, I mean, it gives us a chance to just like, because just like the supplier doesn't want to focus on marketing and managing a bunch of customers. Yeah. You know, that gives us an opportunity to focus on things like marketing, driving traffic, you know, giving great customer service without having to worry so much about the supply side of things. So there's an advantage to to both parties, both to us and to the supplier. Yeah. Oh, I love that. This That's is so good. fascinating. I'm like having the time <laughs> of my life. Um, <laughs> I would love, can we chat a little bit about how to figure out what you are going to sell? So I know you've talked about the difference between, you know, the, the lower ticket items and the high ticket items, and you have recommended the high ticket over the low. So can you talk us through why as the drop shipper or whatever you recommend a high ticket item? And then how can somebody go about even figuring out what they want to sell? Yeah. So I would say there's a extremely wide variety of things you can sell. And, you know, we've really done a lot of it. And honestly, the main thing is the price point, right? So you want to sell things that are actually expensive. You know, we actually just sold an item today that was $27,000, one of our your partner stores. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you weren't joking about high ticket yeah. items. <laughs> and the, yeah, so um That's awesome. essentially, you know, it can start by just going on a site like Wayfair or Hayneedle and seeing what they have that's expensive. And typically what you know what we'll tell people to do is just search that item on Google and see what else comes up. See who else is what other brands of that particular product type are there. And usually what we do is we'll form Kind of, we'll just make like a high end store where we can sell multiple products. So, you know, that way, if we find something new or we contact a supplier, because what will happen is, you know, say you find one thing and then you contact that supplier and they say, okay, yeah, you're in. They send you the wholesale list and they have some other items you never even thought about. Well, now you have other products you can sell. So, you know, you'll just add that all onto your website. And boom, you have a, you have a store. Yeah. And just to add to that, it's important to really think of things that, so, um, what, what beginners tend to do is they just kind of look around them and they say like, oh, like I bought this thing and it's expensive, like my couch. So let me drop ship that. But it's really important to kind of think outside the box and really think not of the stuff that you buy, but what other people may, might buy. And especially, you know, people who may invest in expensive things. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's important to kind of get yourself out of it and uh, open open your mind to all the crazy things that people spend money on. For sure. Dang. Could you give us an example of like a really, really high ticket item? Like, cause I, I, obviously a couch could be a high ticket item, but like even more than that, what are some examples of just like actual products that are that expensive? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, so I, we talked about a couch. Um, now a couch, like just the generic sofa in your house is probably not going to be like the best thing. But if you think about like like a couch that a psychiatrist might use or like a lawyer, like an executive couch or like an executive chair or something like that. That's taking a generic thing and you're going beyond like, oh, there's a couch right in front of me to, you know, you know, thinking about it in a, in a commercial setting or just in a way where someone's going to spend a lot of money. And yeah, so I, I always, I think that's, that's a pretty good example. What do you think, Mike? 
Yeah, I think you, I mean, you can definitely make couches work. And there's certainly sectionals out there that are extremely expensive. But it's like Joe was saying, you know, we try to tell our students to narrow down their focus. Like, don't just think about couches, think about the different types of couches. And then that way, doing your research becomes easier and you can find more uh, niche stuff. And that would help you stand out as well. I'll give one more funny example. We were looking the other day. It was make, made us laugh. It was like a like a pedestal fountain, like an outdoor drinking fountain that someone might put in their backyard. <laughs> um, so never something I would think to buy, but you know, just yeah. something. Hey, I don't. Maybe even like um, like a homeowners association might buy it, like to if they had like a a recreational section of the neighborhood or something like that. So I think those are pretty pretty two solid examples Dang. to walk away with. I love that. I feel like I'm just pulling away from what you guys are saying. At least this is what's sticking in my head. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like you're saying to not only think outside of the box, but then to think of something luxury beyond like if you if you were to think outside of the box and think of, you know, a garden decoration to be like, okay, luxuriously, what would somebody be purchasing that the average everyday person might not be purchasing that would turn it from a standard, you know, medium ticket sale to a high ticket item, like luxury item. Is that kind of like a general gist of like kind of the thought process? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're not going to just going to want to sell like a garden gnome statue or something like that. <laughs> so I, I, I see those awesome. walking around my neighborhood, but then there's this one guy that has like a whole like pond set up and he's got like a huge pond in front of his house with like fish in there. I don't even know how he did it. Like he's the only one in the neighborhood that That's has amazing. it. So you know, stuff like that would some, would, what, I would see that and think, hmm, you know, that might be a good idea. Yeah. Or, that's you know, amazing. you can even get into like bronze statues. It's just a matter of tapping into mm. a specific customer base because once you get into yeah. you know, upper middle class or upper class, these people have disposable income, you know, they want nice things. And usually they're easier to work with in terms of customer service because they have so much disposable income that, you know, you're, they're not spending their last dollar on a little garden gnome and you know if that breaks or if there's some issue then they're you know they're in shambles right so yeah it yeah. has a lot of benefits i feel like if you are hurting for cash you're not going to buy a garden gnome well, but maybe that's <laughs> you'd be surprised honestly <laughs> but yeah <laughs> oh man really oh yeah, gosh yeah. that's Dang. amazing Okay, to break this down even more for a listener who might be interested in doing something similar like this, like online ticket sales like this or high ticket sales like this, could you explain a step-by-step process kind of of what the idea is or the, I guess, more step-by-step of starting an online storefront that specializes in high ticket dropshipping from like the very first step all the way to then receiving your first sale? Like how would that process look like? All right, yeah, I guess I'll do it. Uh, So it all starts with, um, (laughs) you know, developing those supplier relationships. Now, you, you, there, there's two options. You can set up your website first, which we recommend. Um, if you're a little more experienced, you don't necessarily have to do that. So, you know, say you set up your website first, you're brand new, you know, you have your, your business, your LLC formed or whatever business entity you want. Um, you simply do the research like we're talking about here and you start calling suppliers and opening wholesale accounts. And many of them will understand that you you know, they're not going to ship these items multiple times. So you don't, you don't necessarily have to call and say like, Oh, I want to drop ship for you. You know, you just want to become a dealer with them. So you do that. And then they'll probably send you some paperwork and some price lists. You fill out the paperwork and then you have access to their catalog and then you start listing. Well, so to make it simple, 
Um, most people will use Shopify. We use Shopify. Um, it's an e-commerce platform that just makes it really easy to list items on the website. And so we'll, we'll do that from, from the price list that we get. Uh, once we have some stuff on our website, we'll start uh, up. We'll start. The first thing we'll start with is Google Ads. So we'll you know upload a product feed uh, through a plugin on, on Shopify. It makes it really easy. We'll get a product feed going to Google Merchant Center, which syncs up, which syncs up with Google Ads. And then uh, you know from there, people are starting to see ads on Google for the stuff that's on your website. And then Mike does the fantastic job of you know refining the keywords and making sure that stuff always shows up in the right place and we're not spending too much on ads you know we're spending just the right amount to you know be profitable and uh yeah that's that's the process in a nutshell if i can add a little bit so after that you know a customer once you once you have, once you have the ads up customers will start coming to your website and then you know through your ads and they may call you they may chat with you or they may just go ahead and buy something and so at that point, you have an order and all you do is just send the order to the supplier. The supplier will ship it out. They'll send you the tracking number. You put that into your system and you're done. I feel like drop shipping then, it makes it uh, really easy. Not Maybe not easy. That's minimalizing it. But it, it's, you're almost just like the, the person connecting the dots almost between the customer and obviously the product. You are. And like we were saying earlier... It's because the manufacturer, they don't want to do marketing. They don't have to handle customer service and right. just figuring out how mm-hmm. they're going to get in front of new customers and all that. So they pass that over to you in exchange for some margin on the product. And so typically, you can get margins between 50 and 10%. So depending on how expensive mm-hmm. it is, that's a, it's a good chunk of change. And you're not even taking an inventory. All your, your basic costs are just the ad spend and whatever apps and tools you're using, you know. Things like Shopify, it's pretty cheap, like $30 a month. So yeah, it really can pay off. Oh, this is just like, I'm nerding out listening to you guys. This is so fun. Um, (laughs) This is where like my business brain kicks into overdrive and I'm like, oh, let's do it all. Um, Well, I would love to hear you guys. You talked a little bit about Shopify, but uh, are there other platforms that are best to use or any other tools that you recommend like nitty gritty on doing all of this? Uh, we we Shopify just because it's easy, but we really like to stress to people that like at the end of the day, the tools don't really matter. What's most important is that you 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 have stuff on your website and you're getting that stuff in front of people who who are searching for it. And, and once you do that, all of the other little details uh, are are less important. So you know, Shopify is easy just because there's a few like there's a plugin that you can use that will easily hook your catalog up to Google Ads and to Facebook, we don't do a lot of social media ads, but for retargeting and stuff like that, meaning, you know, if you see those ads around the web, like of sites you visited, that's, that's retargeting. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's not really about the tools. We use Shopify because it's easy, but, uh, it is just about getting something in front of someone when they're looking for it. And that's the easiest way to make Mm -hmm. sales. Um, cause there's very little marketing to do They're They're already looking for it. You just want to show up. They're already primed and warm and ready to buy. You just have to put your product right in front of them. Exactly. Does Instagram scare the heck out of you? Feeling like you're always struggling to save time on the good old gram while also creating flawless branded professional content for it? 
We feel you. We have made a special little something just for you. We created a PDF with our top five apps we use in conjunction with Instagram to create smooth, professional content while saving us time and energy. This is a list compiled after years of using Instagram and searching for all the secret pro tools to make our jobs easier. If you've ever wondered, how the heck did she do this? Or how did she make that? It's probably answered by one of these apps. There are little secret sauce to spicing up your Instagram. We use these apps daily, and they've absolutely changed the game for us. So if you're ready to up-level your Instagram and create pro content with just a few clicks, we got you. Head on over to www.theheartuniversity.com slash apps, and let's up-level that Instagame. That's A-P-P-S, y'all. Hey, Heart Fam, we had to interrupt this episode real quick to share with you something that's revolutionized our workflow. Everyone always asks Evie and I what the number one investment is that we've made in our businesses. Without a doubt, the best investment we've ever made to get our life and time back is HoneyBook, a client relations management software. We both use HoneyBook every single day and legit could not live without it. It's an all-in-one project management tool that's designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. I honestly don't know what I would do without HoneyBook. It streamlines everything. Email conversations, client workflow, contracts, invoicing, calendar integration. HoneyBook literally coordinates everything for my business. They thought of everything that a creative entrepreneur could need and combined it all in one place. From templates, brand customization, an app so that you can send invoices while you're on the go, all the way to the little ka-ching sound your phone makes every time you get paid, aka my favorite part, (laughs) HoneyBook gives you the ability to streamline an excellent client experience from your fingertips so you no longer have to spend 24-7 working in your business and you can finally get back to living your life instead. Guys, we know you're going to love HoneyBook just as much as we do. In addition to a free seven-day trial, we have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. Guys, that's a $200 value. All you have to do is go to share.honeybook.com slash heart and claim your discount. That's share.honeybook.com slash heart. Or you can check out the link in our show notes. Well, that kind of leads perfectly into the next question, which are, do you guys have any secret best marketing strategies and tools for online sales and specifically with what you're doing? You know, everything we laid out as far as how we get the suppliers and, you know, where we run the ads. That is literally what we do. And that's where probably a solid 80, 80% of our sales come from. And yeah, there's no, there's no real secret to it. It's just a matter of getting good at doing you know, all these little things over time. Because over time, you know, Joe and I, when we first started making these websites, they look different than they do now because we've had time to get good at making websites and refining how it should look and putting different things on there that may help with conversions. The same with Google ads, you know, it sounds simple enough, but there's a lot of depth to it. So after doing this for several years, you know, you get a lot better at figuring out how to get better conversions, better cost per conversion. And that's really what we like to stress is there's not going to be any secret sauce. It's just about mastering a, you know, subset of skills. And then over time, that's what's really going to, you know, earn you a lot of money. It's It's just about mastering simple things. So good. So freaking good. Okay. (laughs) I know you guys have scaled several businesses to seven figures and yearly revenue, which is just freaking incredible. But what do you feel has been your, you know, secret, quote unquote, to scaling so quickly? Do you feel like you have one? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think the most important thing that we've done over the last five years 
has been investing in ourselves and investing in different courses and pieces of information in order to piece things together. Because mm-hmm. when we started, you know, we didn't have anyone to look up to that was doing, you know, seven figures a year in drop shipping. It came from us hiring multiple agencies to kind of see what was wrong with our ads. And they couldn't even, you know, replicate our results. But you pick up little pieces of knowledge here and there. And so it's just been a um, combination of being, you know, being willing to invest and learn things from different people and just combining that. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I mean, pretty much you said, what you said is, is being consistent at it is. So the first time I actually did this, I threw up, I was doing everything completely wrong. I threw up a drop shipping store and I was trying to sell like dog shirts, like totally the opposite of what, what we talk about now. (laughs) And all I did was I went to Google, I turned on the ads. Uh, I remember I got like 20 visitors or something. I don't even know what I was advertising for, but I was just sitting there thinking like, all right, why didn't anyone buy? And then I was about to give up. (laughs) Um, So no. And then, so that's the, the most basic level of a way you can approach it and, and fail at it, but it goes much beyond that. It's like, so once, you know, say you're doing $10,000 a month in sales, you have to go even deeper to do that hundred thousand and that, you know, million. So it's just a matter of really uh, analyzing what's in front of you week over week, month over month. And, um, you know, it's, it, 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 I wouldn't say it's a quick process by any means, but you know, it's, it's, it's a consistent process. For sure. Always being willing to learn more and to fail and to try again, um, I think is, mm-hmm. is really great. And you guys are a perfect example of that. Just like learning and, and investing early. Um, we actually just did, uh, another guest interview earlier today that we were talking all about, um, the, the importance of investing and just being willing to almost jump before you're ready and, and invest before you feel like you have all the balls in your court or, or everything in line perfectly. So I, I love that you guys just said that. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I actually want to emphasize that you said that because the way this business model works is that there's so much room for failure. And almost that's why we don't even consider ourselves like entrepreneurs, if you will. Because when I think of, when I think of that word, I think of someone's on Shark Tank and they've put everything into this thing they're selling and, uh, you know, it's make or break. This is it. They got to get an investment from the sharks or, or that's it. They're, you know, they're going to lose their house or something. But with this, it's just like, you can invest so, so little, you know, you can spend maybe $10 a day in ads, see where it gets you in a month, spend 15 the next month, see where it gets you. And you can really scale along with your profit. And because you don't have to buy any inventory, um, you know, there's very, very little to lose. And that, that's what I love about this. Uh, that's probably my favorite thing is because, you know, I want to, do this for my freedom. Like I don't want to take unnecessary risks. Mm. Yes. Ooh, I have so many thoughts just on that of <laughs> questions. I mean, you guys, obviously your revenue is, is so substantial, but your risk is so low. Do you feel like that has contributed to allowing you to scale and, and create more and more, you know, businesses with that large revenue because the risk is so low? A hundred percent. And that's even, that's the reason that we decide to do these things. And so, you know, with all the websites that we make and all the different business models that we do, we're not going to go into them if they don't have that upside and a way to actually get involved and continually fail with little risk. Because we know the first time we try something, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to learn things, but if we only have one shot and then we lose, then it's not worth it really no matter what it is. We would much rather do something where 
we continue we can continually put in effort and just kind of tweak, redo it, tweak, redo it because no matter how long that takes and usually it's not more than a year or two once you've gone through that initial year or two and you've gotten really good at something it just becomes a matter of copying it and pasting it and that's how you get to doing multiple seven figures it's just you kind of get there get close once and then you just replicate everything you did right mm, so good okay this is not on our question list but something that you guys have said that just as talking through drop shipping is prioritizing the relationship with like the company that you're reaching out with the the supplier how would you do you have any tips on on like how to send that email or how to make that call with like a person that you're trying to get their product i don't think there's necessarily one thing to say but i think it's all about your your confidence um you know what the supplier wants to hear is that you're going to basically be able to sell sell their products so if you kind of bake that into what you're saying and understand that when you talk to them, when you email them, when you call them, that it's you're not necessarily selling yourselves. You're not necessarily selling yourself to them. Um, you should frame it in the other way where like they want to work with you because they want to get more sales. They want to increase the visibility of their brand and stuff like that. So that's the main thing. A lot of people, when they first start, you know, they kind of, they get so nervous when they're going to reach out to suppliers that, oh, it's almost like they're, oh, please take me on. Mr. or Mrs. Supplier, uh, but it shouldn't be like that. It should be, uh, you know, I want to be, I want to join, I want to join your wholesale program or I want to become a dealer. I really think we can help out your brand and sell more products and stuff like that. Uh, another, another quick tip is the more people you work with, the more people you can work with, because, you know, if I'm selling brand X and you have brand Y over there and they see I'm selling their competitor, they're going to want to be on my website. So uh, that's another uh, quick tip. I think confidence and like presenting even in your email or your pitch or your phone call, thinking from their perspective of like, how can I help you get what you want versus just showing up and being like, Hey, can I do this? Can I do that? Can you put me here? And it's like, no, like think from their perspective, which is serving them ultimately. Yeah. The first time it may be a little bit hard because you've never done it before. You feel like you have no experience and you have no value to offer, but you know, if you could just fake it for a few times, once you get a couple suppliers in, then it becomes so easy to call all the other related suppliers and just say, hey, um, I'm already selling this brand. So we've had customers ask about your brand. We're happy to work with you. If not, we'll just keep selling for this other company. And so, you know, <laughs> they really have no choice at that point. That's so cool. It's like a take it or leave it like pitch where you're like, oh, I mean, you can if you want it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most sales reps or dealers or whatever, if you're telling them you're already making sales for their competitor, that's like... The, you know, the worst thing you can say. So they'll uh, mm -hmm. really be itching to work with you. I love it. Okay. I have a question. I, this also isn't on our list. This is just me out of pure curiosity. Ha, as you've scaled, have you guys built like a team or is it still just the two of you doing all of this? No, we have a very big team at this point. So, you know, we have one store that does um, like several hundred thousand a month in sales. And we have probably Dang. five people just working inside that store doing customer service. Um, you know, I have three full-time customer service employees that work on some other stores. We have some, you know, full-time writers that Joe works with, and we have a team that will just upload products for us. So, you know, it may sound intimidating because that's just how it's happened over the course of several years. But really, you know, once you start hitting that 
70,000 a month mark or 100,000, then it becomes natural to hire an employee just to do customer service for you. And then you just slowly kind of plug up the other holes. So yeah, it kind of seems like a lot (laughs) talking about it, but it did not get there overnight. Uh, I really just started with one person and then one became two. That's so cool. Oh, that makes, I was like, you guys can't possibly be doing this just the two of you. But that's so, I think that's so inspiring and so encouraging, especially for a lot of our audience um, to just hear the, the capabilities of different business models, because Lindsay and I talk a lot about specifically like creative entrepreneur, um, more like boutique businesses where it's, it's very service oriented and it's typically very personal branding, which is all fantastic and wonderful. Lindsay and I love it. We're passionate about it. It's great. But there's also so much else out there in the business world, especially when it comes to scaling, investing, and really diversifying your business models, your investments, your income, and you know, focusing on even more passive revenue streams that don't require the amount of risk that, you know, a boutique business model does. So I am loving this. Thank you guys for just like opening a whole new world to this whole drop shipping business. This is so fun. Um, for both of you guys, my next question, what do you feel has been like the biggest lesson that you've learned so far in business? So I would say for me, we kind of touched on it earlier, but it definitely comes down to consistency. So, you know, when we first started doing things, it was like we would try something and then if it didn't work, we would get discouraged. And I think over time, we've really built up this muscle of just being able to overcome roadblocks. So now when we're faced with a challenge, for one, we know that whatever we start doing, it's going to have you know, 10 times more challenges than we expected. And it's going to be a lot more work than we expect. So when we go into something, we're prepared for it. And we don't get discouraged by these little bumps in the road. I think that's the difference between, you know, someone trying and having maybe a little bit of success or no success at all versus someone who can really take it to whatever level they want. Yeah, it's definitely made me very routine oriented as well. So that's kind of another... I guess you could say skill that it, that it taught me. Cause when you're doing this stuff day in and day out, uh, you, you got, you got to have a routine around it. There's no one like at your job that's going to force you into a routine. Like, Hey, show up here at nine o'clock and leave here whenever it's, you really have to force yourself into your own routine. And, um, I mean, that can be difficult in itself for some people. I know, I know a lot of people that definitely struggle with that. Um, but I think the more you do it and the more you see results, it's kind of a, uh, it's a nice little feedback loop that it's, you see the results and then you want to do it more. So it's easier to make the routine over time. Oh my oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I'm a, like a major productivity nerd and like routine and habit nerd. Like that's my, one of my favorite things to study and to research. I think it's so vital as entrepreneurs, especially um, as you begin to really scale and the demand is increasing. Those habits are so vital to have in place because I feel like the more you grow, the more you scale, the more chaotic business becomes and life becomes, and you have to learn how to manage it or else it's just, it's like a, a roller coaster that's about to implode. Like you just have to get that in order or else you're going to hit a wall and either burn out or just max out on what you're capable of doing and how far you can scale. Yeah. And that's why outsourcing is so important because there's only so much you can do no matter how productive you think you are or 
how good mm-hmm. you are with your routine. You only have 40 hours in a week. Typically, you know, for a typical work week, you only have 24 hours in a day. And mm-hmm. I don't want to spend that, you know, grinding and hustling over little things like website changes or uploading a product. And so outsourcing yeah. has really been a, a huge key for us just to be willing to let go over a lot of parts of your business that you think, you know, are very important that you control. And meanwhile, they're, they're not that important. You can find someone that can probably do it better than you. And uh, yeah, I, my goal is to not have to be productive, right? So mm-hmm. that's, that's why outsourcing is so important. I love that. Well, and then it, it frees you up to be like the CEO of your business and have that visionary role. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to be doing anything else. I just want to think, make decisions for what's going to happen next. And then I just, you know, tell it to whoever needs to know and then they do it. Yeah, that's really the only way you can manage so many things at once. Like if you think about Warren Mm -hmm. Buffett, I mean, all the things that he owns and all all the businesses he's in charge of, you think he's going into the computer and and fixing, uh, tweaking fonts? No, he's just, you know, (laughs) the things he's doing are so high level that I probably can't even comprehend it. Yes. Oh, that's so good. So perfect. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm just like mind blown (laughs) from this whole entire episode. Thank you, Joe and Mike, uh, for giving us your time, giving us your wisdom. Uh, I think this episode is going to blow our listeners' minds and just open them up to a whole entire new world of of entrepreneurship and business that they didn't even think of. Um, especially with a lot of our listeners being from the creative entrepreneurship realm. So if, if everyone has listened to the show and has become obsessed with you and your knowledge, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone get any of your offers or check out just what you're doing? Yeah. So, uh, you can check us out at buildassetsonline.com. Uh, we also have a podcast, uh, but we actually, not only can you download it on Apple iTunes, but, uh, we stream it live on YouTube, usually Mondays and Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Um, But we also have a free course called the Online Asset Playbook, which you can get at buildassetsonline.com slash playbook. And there we kind of walk you through our philosophy on online business and teach you how to grow an online portfolio. So I I always recommend that that's the best place that people um, start. And we do have a dropshipping course as well. Uh, That's at buildassetsonline.com slash asset. But um, yeah, if, if you're a beginner, I recommend getting the online asset playbook, the free course, learning about our philosophy and uh, take it from there. Perfect. Oh, you oh. guys are so cool. <laughs> this has been so fun. Thank you both of you for just giving us so much of your time. And I'm so excited to see how our listeners respond to this. I feel like it's they're going to blow up the internet based on just the entire like pivot out of our industry that this episode is. And I'm so stoked to see the reactions. Yeah, I'm happy to come on again. And I mean, if there's one thing, last point I can make, it's that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people get into business wanting to do something that they find that they're passionate about. Right. But for us, I think we find our our passion is doing what we want. Right. So we're willing to do a business based off of the just rational perspective, the, the low risk, the high margin side of things. And so we want the business not necessarily to be our passion, but to give us room to do things that we're passionate about. That's why we love what we do so much. That's mm-hmm. such a good point. Like mic drop right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so important too as entrepreneurs to realize very often we do get started wanting that that freedom or to pursue something that we're passionate about. But as you know, time goes on, it's very easy to get caught up in 
the day-to-day mundane repetitive tasks and or to get so busy and, and overwhelmed working in our businesses that we're not actually giving ourselves that freedom that we wanted when we went to be an entrepreneur or to leave our jobs and become self-employed. So I think that's just so freaking good of, of your job should fuel and fund basically your passions and your life. You shouldn't be just constantly like running on a hamster wheel. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much. And just again, for taking the time to talk to us, we are honored and we can't wait for our listeners to hear this episode. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.